if you have your Bibles there, we're reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 to 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Well, friends, it is great to see you all, uh, and I'll just add my welcome to Dezes. If uh, we haven't uh, met before, I'm Duncan, and uh, it's great to see uh, so many regulars and visitors here on the long weekend. Um, if you, I know there are some of us here who are um, foodies, if you know the term foodie. If you're a bit of a foodie, um, you'll know that there's been a bit of a, re- a resurgence recently of cooking shows, right, on TV. You know, you know all the cooking shows that... That, no, no, a few shakes or you know, cooking shows. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, you're all familiar with the kind of, you know, the Master Chef and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I have to confess that I haven't really uh, been that taken with them. Uh, but there is one. <laughs> there is one that I've seen a few times, and maybe you've seen it too. Uh, it's not one of the competition ones. I think that's why I prefer this kind of thing. It's just one that's just about enjoying. Uh, and being creative with food. It's the show called Heston's Feasts. Have you seen this? And Heston, uh, this guy, um, very uh, eccentric kind of character, uh, he invites a table full of celebrities to enjoy uh, a feast based on a particular theme. Uh, so he does these medieval feasts or Victorian feasts or my favourite, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory feast. And he put, puts on this incredible banquet uh, this decadent banquet where every, and just about everything is edible, so you use your knife and fork to eat and then you eat your knife and fork. Um, uh, and what you notice as you watch these, uh, these people enjoying this feast, 
what you notice uh, as as the feast goes on, there's a bit of nervousness at the start as they're kind of getting to know each other. But you notice as the feast goes on, the guests relax. They start chatting with each other and joking, and the, as they, the, the courses come out, the flavours surprise them, and they just get blown away, and it is a, a really joyful scene of these guests enjoying this incredible feast. Well, a feast can do that, can't it? A feast can have that kind of effect, can soften you, uh, can make you smile and laugh and enjoy the company of others. Um, well, just uh, put that uh, on the side for a moment. Um, we have been uh, going on a journey here over the last five weeks through these incredible uh, songs of the servant, servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Um, it has been, uh, I have found it, and I hope uh, many of you have also found it, a real privilege to hear again these uh, amazing uh, prophecies about this coming servant, the servant of the Lord, Isaiah's prophecy is all about transformation. That's what we've been looking at, uh, this incredible transformation of the people of God and not only of the people of God, but the transformation of the whole world. And the servants, what we've been looking at, this figure of the servant, is the key to this whole transforming that God is going to bring about, is the key to it. Now, friends, if you're here last week, you'll know we looked at... um, the greatest servant song, chapter 53, Isaiah 52 and 53, this incredible great servant song that ties it all together uh, and shows us that we need transforming. Uh, we need transforming not just uh, because of our mistakes or kind of a, a, a brokenness that is outside of us. We need transforming because of what is inside us, our sin, our because in our pride and in our rebellion, we insist on putting ourselves in God's place. We insist on putting God, ourselves in God's place. And the, the message we heard last week from Isaiah 53 uh, spoke of how the only way for us to be healed and forgiven is through the servant putting himself in our place. <laughs> we put ourselves in God's place And God in Jesus puts himself in our place, bearing the penalty for for our sin that we justly deserve. If you were here last week, I found this, uh, and perhaps you did too, it's a really serious thing to think through. Uh, That passage particularly, if you are familiar with it, Isaiah 53, it deals with really serious stuff. Uh, Last week... Um, we heard how the gospel force, it, it, it leaves us no wiggle room. <laughs> uh, we are left recognising the terrible reality that our sin is an offence to God and leaves us under his just and frightening judgement. In ourselves, we are under a curse and broken uh, so, friends, ha- having read that, uh, that's not the uh, end point of Isaiah 53, though, is it? That's not the end point. Uh, because Isaiah 53 has this brilliant sort of light that shines through it. Uh, it is only by God's amazing grace that we can have any hope and life and forgiveness and that we can have hope and life and forgiveness. But even so, Isaiah 53, you come away from it, it's pretty heavy stuff. 
And so it's a li- I just mentioned that because it's a little surprising as you keep reading through Isaiah, it's a little surprising what comes next after such a kind of in- intense and heavy passage. Uh, you get chapters 54 and 55. We're not looking at 54 today, but chapter 54 opens with this uh, incredible joyful song that can't be contained. Uh, and then you get to chapter 55 and the picture changes uh, to this overwhelming, rich banquet, right? A huge feast, a banquet that, you know, leaves Heston in the dust, right? As, as much as he can do, this banquet uh, leaves him in the dust. It's a, uh, it's a bit of a kind of surprise moving from this really uh, quite serious message of chapter 53 to this banquet of chapter 55, It's a surprise, but friends, it's not an accident at all. This is the outcome of everything we've looked at up to this point, of all the servant songs we've read. And we realise as we read these chapters, as we read chapter 55 today, uh, that the servant achieves through his death in our place, that what he achieves is not just about dealing with the problem of human sin, it is that, it needs to be dealt with, but here we can see the, the kind of end result of that, what that does in us. And not just a clean slate, as wonderful as that is, uh, but God's arms open wide to welcome us into his eternal and abundant joy. He extends an invitation. I'd invite you to read in your, uh, in your minds, uh, but uh, I have your Bibles open uh, to read along with me. And if you do have your handout, that'll give you some sense of the sort of flow of where we're going as well. Uh, this beautiful invitation. This is the Lord. This is God speaking. And in the light of everything that's gone, in the light of what we looked at last week in chapter 53... God says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. You will delight in the richest of fare. Friends, in the light of the suffering servant that we looked at last week, uh, of what he will do through his death for us in our place, God shouts out this joyful invitation. He says, come, all your deepest longings, Everything you thirst for will be fully and eternally satisfied at this feast. But did you notice as we read through there, did you notice what it is that you need to bring with you in order to enter this incredible, I mean, what an incredible hope this is, right? What do you need to bring with you? Uh, if you want to get into a really, you know, swanky restaurant, uh, you need to fork up some serious cash. 
and it probably helps, I imagine, to have some high-class connections to get in. That's probably why I've never been to one. Uh, and only celebrities get onto Heston's feasts. Uh, again, probably why I've never been invited. But what is it that you need, friends, for this great feast, this banquet to end all banquets? Well, did you see that as we read through? This is a feast for those who have no money. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. There is nothing that you can bring that will pay your way into this banquet. There's nothing you can bring that will impress the host. You cannot bring anything to contribute to this feast. You are not invited and told to bring dessert, right? There's nothing you can bring. The entry requirements, well, there's more to say though there, isn't there? Uh, it's not quite true to say that you bring nothing. It's not quite true. So you see, the entry requirement for this feast is not that you bring your great talents, your gifts, your money, your abilities, but did you notice what it is that you are to bring to this feast? To get into this feast, you must bring your thirst. You must bring your neediness. You must bring your brokenness. You must bring your inability. You must bring your poverty. And that, friends, is it not a problem for us? <laughs> is that not a problem? Particularly if we're materially rich, uh, it's hard to see our spiritual poverty, but it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's so deeper than that. Uh, there is this persistent problem in every human heart of our pride, our deep resistance to the thought that we have nothing to contribute. We desperately, friends, want to offer some part of ourselves that's worthy, but there is no place in this feast who want to pay their own way in. The debt we owe is far too great. We can't pay it. That is why God gives this subtle but quite stinging rebuke in verse 2. As we read it, did you notice that? Why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you spend your labor on what does not satisfy? You see what God's saying there? You can live, you can keep living in pride and self-reliance, but it will leave you empty. It won't satisfy. Uh, the Bible says that God opposes the proud. But the bright and wonderful vision of Isaiah, the bright and wonderful vision of Isaiah is that the price for entering this feast has already completely been paid in the death of of his servants, and that while God opposes the proud, the other half of that phrase, if you know it, 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He calls, he invites thirsty, weak people into an abundant, overflowing, never-ending feast. Praise God. What an amazing thing. Well, friends, we need to keep reading through this passage because there's more to say here. What uh, is on the menu? Okay, uh, What is on the menu of this feast? Uh, what is on offer? What is it that God is offering that could cause such eternal delight, such deep satisfaction for you? What's on offer? Verse 3, Give ear to me and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, has endowed you with splendor. Okay, there's a lot in there. Uh, but what is on offer? What is God providing in this feast? He says he will provide and he will make an everlasting covenant. Uh, the fulfillment of his, his love promised to David. Uh, David was the greatest of Israel's kings. If you know the story, uh, God gave David this incredible promise, what he calls a covenant, this pledge to David. Um, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you're interested. He gave this incredible promise to David that he would have a dynasty that would last forever, that there would be one coming, a king from David's family, uh, who would build an eternal kingdom. And God pictures this king, as you read through this sort of passage in Isaiah, he pictures this king as a witness to the people's uh, ruler over the nations of this world, this king would not only be eternal, he'd be global. And this is themes that we've seen through the servant songs already. Uh, this kingdom that this king would make would be global and it would be so attractive. It would be beautiful. It would be endowed with splendor that unknown nations wouldn't just sort of maybe make their way over to have a bit of a sticky beak. What does it say? Nations you do not know will come running to you. That's how wonderful and beautiful and magnificent this kingdom that this son of David would set up. Well, this incredible covenant God promised. And there's a bit of a missing piece here that if you've been reading the, the servant songs up to this point, uh, you should uh, uh, maybe um, might ring some bells for you. Light bulbs go off at this point, don't, don't they? If you were with us a few weeks ago when we looked at the first servant song in Isaiah 42, uh, what was said about the servant there? Um, God's already talked about making, he's already talked about this new covenant, this new pledge that sets up a new relationship between God and his people. And right back in chapter 42, God made the incredible promise that the servant himself would be a covenant, this new covenant, this new relationship established between God and his people. 
He would set up a new kind of relationship. He would be the eternal king over God's kingdom. And God says, friends, listen. Listen. The way into this life is not to speak or to do, but to humbly receive, to listen, to hear and accept this word. This is the word that will give you life. This is what is on the menu at this feast, a new relationship between God and you made possible through the death of his servant. The servant will be the sacrifice that sets up this new relationship. That's what we looked at last week in chapter 53. And life under his rule will be a beautiful feast that nations will come running to. Well, it is just an incredible picture, isn't it? It's breathtaking. Uh, But at this point, uh, as we kind of keep moving through, there's a bit of a break if you've got a, uh, your Bibles, you can see that the quotation marks finish at verse 5 and verse 6 starts up uh, something else. At this point, there's a pause. God stops speaking and at verse 6, we start hearing from Isaiah himself, the prophet. Uh, God has made this incredible invitation to everyone to come. But Isaiah changes tone here. Do you see what it, what it is? Uh, God's at the start, we had an invitation Come, come, come. Here the tone has changed, and it's more Isaiah the prophet, not inviting, but pleading. It's his plea. He knows that God's invitation will not always be extended. He knows there's a real urgency about this. Okay, he knows the urgency. He knows that while there's no price we can pay to enter the banquets, We do need to turn to acknowledge the wickedness of our ways, the unrighteousness of our thoughts, to turn from them, to cast them away and turn and cast ourselves on God's mercy. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. I don't know about you. Actually, I suspect this is probably true of you as well, but I find it pretty hard to recognize my own kind of wickedness. It's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? Um... It's why we get very good at non-apology apologies. Uh, There's actually, I found out this week, there's a whole Wikipedia page, if you're familiar with the website Wikipedia, there's a whole page set up to this thing called a non-apology apology. apology. Okay, so let me explain. Uh, It sort of sounds like an apology, but when you hear it, you realise afterwards that it wasn't really an apology at all. Okay, it's a non-apology apology. apology. And the classic non-apology apology goes something like this. Look, mistakes were made, and I apologise if anyone was offended. Okay? Um, Why do we do this? Why do we have this non-apology apology that kind of doesn't really recognise my own wickedness in 
whatever it is, but uh, why do we do this? I, sus- I, th- I suspect part of it, and a large part of it, is because it's really quite a terrifying thought uh, to think of what would happen if we really apologised, if we really deeply repented, if we really looked openly at our own hearts, at our own unrighteousness, if we really did that and confessed it. Uh, For someone like a public personality that you see these every now and again on the TV, these non-apology apologies, well, you can imagine the pressure on them, right? It would be kind of, uh, for a a famous sports person um, who might say a non-apology apology, well, it would be professional suicide to, to, to really acknowledge their own guilt in whatever incident happened <laughs> over the weekend. Who could, who could you possibly trust to hear your confession and not despise you or turn away from you, not reject you? Well, here is something, friends, remarkable and new. See what Isaiah does here? He knows that there is someone who knows you inside out, who is not surprised or shocked by the unrighteousness that is in your heart, who you don't need to hide anything from because he will, he will have mercy on you. He will freely pardon you. Your guilt, as real and as great as it is, has been completely washed away by the blood of his servants and all that's left, all that's left is mercy and grace and forgiveness. And friends, is that not wonderful? And Isaiah goes on to stamp home that we can know this for sure. Uh, In a way, we are right, aren't we? We're right to kind of fear the response of other people if they just got a bit of a glimpse inside our own hearts at our own brokenness and wickedness. Uh, But if we confess in our brokenness, if we confess our need and come humbly to the Lord, turn to him, we we do not need to fear his response. We do not need to fear his response. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the soul and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Brothers and sisters, the word of the new covenant through the blood of the servants that makes it possible for us to come and freely join in the eternal and overflowing banquet of God, 
this incredible feast, this word of the gospel is like rain coming down from heaven. The thing about rain is it doesn't drop down and bounce back, right? It doesn't drop down and bounce back. It falls and it stays and it soaks and it does its work. It produces life. And this word of forgiveness through the servant is like that. It comes from God, the host of the banquet, who is utterly trustworthy and whose word is powerful and it will achieve its purpose. It will draw people to see their own poverty and thirst and to turn from their wicked ways and their unrighteous thoughts. People who hear this call to come to the Lord who will, who will have mercy, who will forgive because he has laid on his servant the sins of us all. Friends, there's one more section that Isaiah goes on to say, to talk about. Uh, One of the really interesting things about food, especially good quality food, right, is that it leaves an aftertaste, right? It It has that kind of ongoing, lingering effect on your mouth. Uh, it keeps going and going. I remember as a kid discovering warheads. I don't know if they were around when you were a kid. No, those, those extreme sour lollies, you know, the ones you pop in, and they make your eyes water and your mouth kind of go all sour and suck, uh, you know, kind of tingly. And it lasts for a while, right? They last for, you know, a few minutes, this um, aftertaste sensation. You know, so aftertastes can be, you know, unpleasant in a way, but you can have good aftertastes too, can't you? Pleasant sweet, wonderful aftertastes that if I wasn't so um, uh, caught up in my own kind of frantic eating, I'd actually stop and you know, be able to enjoy. A really sweet cake you know, that, or that perfectly cooked steak, um, whatever your favourite food is, and you're probably, even now, having your saliva glands going, Uh, You can sort of anticipate the taste and then the aftertaste that keeps going. But it always comes to an end, doesn't it? No matter how good your food is, um, no matter what feast you're at, what restaurant you go to, the aftertaste, you know, it'll always come to an end. But here is something wonderful. The ongoing effect, the aftertaste of this meal... (laughs) The impact of it, it doesn't go away. In fact, as you read it, if anything, it just keeps getting sweeter and stronger. Coming in and eating this feast will mean this. You'll come in and eat and you'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. Uh, The eternal covenant through the blood of the servant that makes this new relationship possible, it's so big and so cosmic. Did you notice as we read through? The whole creation will be swept up in it. Isn't that such a lovely, incredible image? The trees of the field clapping their hands because of this feast. 
Everyone's dancing, okay? Every, everything's rejoicing. Uh, the, all of creation will be swept up in this. Our sin broke the world and brought with it pain and death and thorns and briars. But this feast, this banquet, this new covenant, the impact of it will be nothing less than overcoming Overcoming the fall, overcoming all the horrendous effects of evil and sin in this world. Isaiah goes on in the rest of his book to focus, if uh, we won't read that together here in church, but I really encourage you, if you'd like to read through the rest of Isaiah, Isaiah goes on to focus on this renewal of everything, this whole new creation, new heavens and new earth, a new people restored to God and to each other. And through it all, Right at the end, through it all, the Lord will be glorified. Uh, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Well, friends, um, this is the feast. Okay, this is the feast that God invites all people into. Uh, the invitation is for everyone to come. And friends, it may be for you today, you hear the urgency of the call to seek the Lord while he may be found. You don't know how long that is. You don't know whether you have a lifetime ahead of you or whether you could be taken today. But right now, right now, the Lord is near. The Lord is near and opens his arms to invite you to join his feast, to forsake your rebellious ways and confess your sin and know that God will freely pardon you and welcome you with open arms. Uh, friends, there uh, are those of us also here today who are already sitting at the table, uh, who are already partakers of this feast um, but friends for all of us I think and perhaps you identify with this are there not times in which the rich and wonderful food that is on offer um, seems to you bland and joyless um, there's many things many reasons why that might be uh, each of us has our own kind of pressures and struggles. And, uh, there's one thing, though, that comes out of this particular passage that I think it's worth kind of just reflecting on as we hear this invitation, as we think about what it means to partake in this wonderful, eternal, joyful feast, as we pray that God will um, plant that joy deep within us. One thing from this passage that I think um, strikes me as really a danger uh, is the danger of sitting at this free banquet of the king, if I can use an analogy, uh, sitting with this free banquet of the king, sitting among the people of God under his word, under his wonderful, life-giving, raining down word, um, but sneaking out halfway to the 7-Eleven to pick up 
you know, to pay for our own little snack along the way. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the best analogy. But that is, uh, even though we have God's word, even though we have this word, we still look for, to find fulfillment and satisfaction in other things, don't we? Things that we do. We, we spend our money on what won't sustain us and labour for what won't satisfy. It's such a challenge, isn't it? I find it a challenge, personally, a really great challenge. Uh, and and I, um, in my kind of position, as a, I think a kind of added danger sometimes because the, what I labour for seems so right. I'm the pastor of a church. Um, but that's so easily a smokescreen for other things that I'm really labouring for. Other things uh, that I'm looking for for my satisfaction and fulfilment. The approval of others, some sort of recognition, some sense of leaving a legacy or whatever it is. And I find my, when I find myself labouring for that, I know it doesn't satisfy. It makes me anxious and distracted and leaves me, in the end, empty. And friends, I don't mention that for my sake, uh, although it is good for you to know that your pastor is just another bloke who's a broken sinner like you are. Um, I mention that to encourage you to reflect on the ways in which you spend your money on what is not bread. The ways in which you Spend your labour for what will not satisfy. Friends, how do we reinvigorate our taste buds for the sweetness of the gospel? Well, it is to recognise, do you see the way in through here? It is through humble, repentant recognition of our brokenness. To recognise that to turn from it and to turn to the mercy of God that he has poured out on you in Christ. Uh, that's what Christians call repentance. There's a, there is a first repentance. There's a first repentance uh, as we enter into this feast that needs to happen. But repentance isn't a, isn't a one-off thing. Um, Martin Luther famously said in his 95, I think it's his 95 Theses, I should double-check that, but he did say it. Uh, All of the Christian life is repentance. Uh, It is the continual posture of the Christian life, acknowledging our poverty and not being broken by it, but joyfully turning away from it and resting in this life-giving word of Jesus' salvation. That's why being in a church family that gathers together around God's word is so vital. To together soak ourselves in this word that is raining down on us. To tune our taste buds to it so that it becomes increasingly sweet and rich. This word of free pardon and forgiveness that breaks proud people and lifts up broken people. 
This is a word that declares that life at its heart is about God's free gift, paid willingly by the blood of Jesus, who longs for you to accept it, to enter into this feast and to enjoy it for the rest of your life. And trust, friends, entrust yourself to this hope, this source of life, this word, because God will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Friends, come to the waters, come to the word of the gospel. We're going to share together in the Lord's Supper. And perhaps for you, this is an opportunity for you to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Before we do that, and in the light of God's word to us today, uh, we're going to pray together a prayer of confession. Uh, perhaps you're not used to, um, you may not be used to praying kind of together, um, but it's a good way for us together as a church family to join together in response to these things. So, brothers and sisters, I invite you to join with me um, in this prayer. It's a prayer. Uh, based on Isaiah 55. Uh, and it's a prayer for all those who will come to this feast. So brothers and sisters, feel free as well, um, if you're not comfortable, to just look and listen. But I do invite you to join in uh, in this prayer of confession. A confession that leads to joy. So let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we confess our sin before you. We confess we have tried to find our satisfaction and fulfilments in other people and other things. We have spent our money on what is not bread and our labour on what does not satisfy. Lord, we forsake our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. We turn to you our gracious Father, knowing that because of Jesus' death for us, you will have mercy and forgive us. Thank you for welcoming us into your eternal feast. By your Spirit, help us to... Oh, didn't make it up there. I will finish up. By your Spirit, help us to taste your goodness more and more until the day you come to make all things new. In Jesus' name. Amen.